The presenting sponsor of On Education is Participate. Lately, teachers from all over have been working together to find new approaches to provide quality remote education. Participate's sister company, Participate Learning, presents United We Teach, a global gathering place for educators to share distance learning resources as we navigate these strange times. For these resources and more, visit participate.com slash oneducation. If you don't think that I could quit what I'm doing right now, and go back to, to school to be a doctor and become a doctor, you know, Citizen Stewart can kiss my ass because I could totally do it. Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss the best practices for remote teaching, why concurrent teaching is not sustainable, our thoughts on the ISTE virtual conference, and our guest this week is Director of Innovation for Future Ready Schools, Tom Murray. So how was Thanksgiving? How was your um, (laughs) dinner? It was great. It was great. Uh, We missed our in-laws. As I said, they were... They usually come, they are usually here for all of our different breaks. So we Mm -hmm. missed them, but overall it was a big success. We had big, we had a family, um, we all contributed, that's what I'm trying to say, to the cooking. So that was great because usually Nicole and her mom, uh, especially are usually the people that prepare the whole dinner. Right, and we and we just come in and eat. You know, <laughs> feel really bad about that. So we contributed the to the cooking, nice. and then we also all cleaned up all together. The boys, and too? then we, yep, and then we turned nice. on the music for uh, holiday music and uh, start put up the tree. I mean, we were we were we we did a lot of things. So it was awesome. It was it was a great evening. Um, and then I was laughing or making people laugh because it was such a gigantic turkey. A twenty-three pound turkey. Yeah, did you go so a little had, overboard? <laughs> so yes. So then we nice. had so many other meals that then were created from that original turkey. Yeah, no, of um, course. It, it was it was amazing. So, um, and I really like turkey. It's like when I get disappointed when uh, you know uh, people choose to make a ham, for example, instead of a turkey. I'm like, ah, you know, ham's like. Eh. We have both. Like, we normally do yeah. both. Ah, see, that's smart. Because my wife, I think, prefers ham, and so does I think most of the other family. But I am the big turkey guy. I love it. Um, which we, is weird because you know, yeah. <laughs> we we would take the leftovers and and you know, like you make a couple different things. So usually the next day we'd have like a full like I I love um hot like a hot turkey sandwich mm, with like gravy yes. on it oh, and, God, and some yeah. fries on the side maybe the leftover oh. the leftover dressing um yes. that's like that's like the classic my classic um next day dinner is a hot turkey is a hot turkey sandwich um with some fries and 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 some dressing and um but we've also done every once in a while every couple of years we've done um where we've cut up pieces of the turkey into like little like half inch pieces or whatever and freeze yeah. them in in baggies and then Smart. use that for things like um in particular i think we've used it for like um 
like pot pies and stuff like Yum. that, right? Because then you can yes. just take a bag of turkey out of the freezer, dump it in, you know, and, and you know, make it happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that kind of stuff. So, so freeze, freeze some turkey, friends. Don't throw it in the garbage, you know, <laughs> use it. No, we freeze it too. Yeah. Yes. For That's stir super fries, smart. Like, like, uh, you know, use it in a mm-hmm. fried rice or something like that, for example, instead of Perfect. like a chicken fried rice, you have a turkey fried exactly. rice. It's, it makes no difference really. No, um, no. so, I mean, that kind of stuff is, is always really, really good. Um, and the ham gets used for ham sandwiches and, mm. and, and, you know, for breakfast <laughs> a, a couple times, you know, but yeah, I, I enjoy, I enjoy, I'm the only one in my family who really is like a leftovers person. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So like the turkey, like the, the next day Thanksgiving leftovers is fine, but generally our family, like Cheryl and, and the boys aren't, aren't leftovers people other than pizza. Um, sure. You know, but I so I like any leftovers from dinners that we have. I usually eat them for lunch the next day or the next couple Sparks. days and stuff like yes. that. Uh, I I mean, I I grew up, you know, cherishing the leftovers and like, <laughs> and I don't know. I you know nowadays it might be the only frugal thing about me. The so so I I, I but I'm Love still it. into it. I'm still I still enjoy it. So. Happy mm. Thanksgiving, Americans. Yes. And uh, enjoy, enjoy your couple had. weeks of turkey if you still have some. And, <laughs> and I, I hope you I hope it has many meals of sustaining nourishment mm-hmm. in, in you. Um, yum, yum. So, you know, it's funny. There's this New York Times article teaching in the pandemic, this is not sustainable. And I'll tell you, I've been having panic attacks Mm. at at night and i had one last night that was probably the worst where it was like probably the middle of the night 1 a.m and i was oh, wide awake um and i and i it's funny because i'm not teaching um but i am you know constantly worried about everyone in my family mm. and um you know my family members that were not near and around and you know if it's bad for me and I have it pretty good. I am constantly thinking about how bad it must be for a lot of other folks, including yeah. some of these teachers that are just like, it is the only, it is only, it's December 1st and it feels like it's, you know, yeah. May or June. Um, and, and people are already exhausted. Um, I, I think that this week, I felt a little bit more hope than I had the last couple because there's been a lot of good news about vaccines and, and stuff like yes. that. Um, that that you know makes me feel better. I'm gonna try to go to sleep thinking about the fact that a vaccine is gonna come in the next couple months. Oh, um, gotcha. But it's like I'm I'm struggling personally, um, and still not really over the fact that I was really sick there a month and a half ago, maybe. And so I can't imagine what it's like for other people in, and this, this article, just that headline alone knocks mm. me down because it's, it's not teacher burnout is if it's not a problem already, it I mean, is, yeah. I mean, it's going to be, I'll tell you by Christmas, when people take, take Christmas breaks, people are going to be at the absolute ends of their ropes. This, this mm. two week vacation that people are going to get for Christmas break is the most needed. And I mean, 
who's who needs to get away i mean it's it's funny right if anyone would need a vacation right now it's teachers and you can't go anywhere either. you can't do anything <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't leave. It's tough. Um, many many of us are in lockdown situations, but yeah, the 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 article perfectly describes what I've experienced um just from an outsider's point of view now because I'm an instructional coach and I get to see both my spouse and then the teachers that I work with basically work at levels that I've never seen before. Um the work that they do at school is, as we've talked about on the show, just not as rewarding because you're not getting those good feedback, those good, great feelings that you get from teaching in a normal situation, mm-hmm. whether it be kids that have to wear the masks or only half of the kids actually are in front of you and the other half are in a virtual space. Or like many of us, like where I'm at right now, where we're teaching in a distance learning environment for we don't know how long. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's it's all of the combination of all of those things and just um, being forced into those situations and just trying to do the absolute best that you possibly can has created a lot of those things where you're describing that the anxiety, the super long working hours working. I mean, in the article it describes, you know, some teachers that are working, you know, 13 to 16 hour days and then working on the weekend still and still not being able to kind of catch up. And the reason why they're working that much, you know, somebody might say, well, why are they doing that? It's called, they want to create it as best of an experience as they can for the students. Yeah. And this is all new. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's like scratch everything you've done. Cause you can't, you can't just do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you have to do something else. And each day, you're learning, you know, it's kind of like you, someone said, you know, you're, you're, you're starting over. Yeah, you kind of are. Um, and some of those experience that you usually drew from don't work anymore. And that's super frustrating for many yeah. of, of the educators. And as uh, they've put together many surveys from uh, the NEA, the National Education Association, even local, uh, sorry, state unions, just basically surveying teachers. And, and what they've found is that a lot of teachers are thinking about leaving the profession, either mm. retiring early or just leaving it all together and just saying, you know what, something else has got has got to be better. And that's crazy, but yet I I can empathize. It's it's insane, um, and I, and especially this this description of what they're they're talking about here yeah. is when you're trying to do both jobs at the exact same time, the virtual and in person. And you're doing it um, at the uh, synchronously, so you're you're teaching both uh, environments at the same time. It just it's almost an impossible task. I mean, it it, it people are pulling it off, but it's not pretty, <laughs> and and it's causing huge fatigue in the t- educators, causing huge fatigue in our students, um, and like you, we just finished saying, it's we're recording this on December first. It's, we're not even close to the end of the school year, and and it feels like it just continues to loom over us. But like you just said, Mike, it we can hope for positive news, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a, a vaccine, mm-hmm. um, different aspects of just different things to say. Hey, you know what? If we can get to that point, we can do this. So you know, we can kind of 
uh, you know, rally around that. And that's what I'm hoping for too, is that, you know, more of those rallying points. I feel like this time next year, Hmm. um, you know, I'll feel, I'll feel a lot better. I, I suspect that most, if not all of my family will get a vaccine, you know, Cheryl mm-hmm. will definitely get a vaccine probably fairly early in the whole process, probably by the summer, um, because she's a teacher. I suspect that they will endeavor to have all, you know, teachers and children vaccinated by September in Canada. Yeah. Um, so that next fall schools can be open and feel, you know, safe, Absolutely. relatively safe. Yes. Um, you know, and then we continue vaccinating people in through the fall. And then, um, I, I, you know, I, I think this time next year, uh, if we can just kind of get through this together, um, <laughs> there, there are, there are still, I mean, I mean, we're going to talk to Tom Murray later today, uh, yes. or later th- we're going to talk to Tom Murray later this episode. And, um, you know, he's going to talk to us about, you know, what he's talking about at FETC. And, you know, I think about that and, and Brianna and, you know, a, a bunch of our other friends. We're going to talk about ISTE in a minute, but uh, a lot of folks still trying to help people get through this um, yes. with advice and tools and ideas and, you know, even just emotional and, 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 and you know, um, moral support. Um we came across a a a file um that we're going to put in the show notes um yes. you know that that's helpful i think uh y- you might have some thoughts on this uh for best practices for remote teaching yeah and i just thought you know what it, it's we had actually had talked about this in august um and even to some of our guests we've asked them this question give us some practical advice some things we can pass on to the listeners and just things that will work in distance environment and in a hybrid environment. And, you know, as I looked at these um, four best practices, I'm like, they are applicable in any situation for any grade, any grade, any content area. So it's like, okay, what are they, Glenn? Well, Mm -hmm. number one, the first thing, Reduce the amount of teacher talk. I think it's the hardest part of teacher for teachers to let go of because we like to talk. I'm sorry, but we do. And and many of us, you know, we do this, you know, on our own free time. We love talking about, you know, teaching and 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 we're passionate about it. And, and in our classrooms, we're co- passionate about the content. Um, in elementaries, I imagine that, that the teachers, of course, are passionate about getting their kids all fired up about whatever. And they mm-hmm. like to talk a lot. This just says, reduce the amount of teacher talk in live sessions and increase some silence think time which is super awkward. We've been on lots of calls, you know, Zoom calls and like whatever might be. It's it's very awkward, but it's needed. It's, it needs some time that is just uh, thinking time, you know, um, some time to process. So you're not trying to fill every single moment like we do with the, with the podcast. Um, and the second piece of advice, which I am super happy to 
report that in my two my kids' schools, uh, a middle school student and an elementary school student, they do this all the time. The teacher has the students physically turn off the device, get away for an amount of time it during their class period, and then has them go do something silly, fun, um, physical that is not device oriented. Hmm. And and then they come back and kind of chat about it to kind of re-engage the class and like mm-hmm. laugh together about different things. And it, it works. It just basically saying have students stand or move for at least one to two minutes every 15 to 20 minutes. And you can make it that one to two minutes or however much is an engaging activity that you can then discuss when you come back. But something funny, you know, um, I, I believe Audrey Thornborough, who helps us out with the podcast with uh, writing the blog posts, she posted something to, I think, all of our district staff um, that it, it was a set of ideas. And I'll make sure that I give credit to whoever this was. because I, I think it was Jed. Is You know, you remember Jed, that you interviewed him? Uh, Drear uh, Berry? Jed, How do Jed. you say it? Jed Deary Berry? Jed. Yes. Deary okay. Berry. Yeah. He has a set of, and I'm going to find it for our audience because this is freaking a, just a phenomenal idea. He calls it like go and, go and grab or something. That's mm-hmm. what he calls the activity, which okay. exactly. And what it is, it's a list of stuff mm-hmm. that a student goes and finds in their house. Just whatever, you know, around their room. Go and grab your favorite blah. And then they go and grab it and they bring it. They go, first of all, physically, they move away from the stuff, come back, and then they come to talk about whatever oh it is. Talk about a great uh, way to build just that uh, feeling of togetherness as far as a group. You get to learn more about each other. The yeah. relationships are built. It's it's authentic because it's their things, the things that they're passionate about, whatever it might be, and they get to talk they get to talk, you know, the kids do in this kind of weird environment that we're in, but then it's about them and they can, they can share those things. They could be like, Oh, I didn't know that about you. You know, their, their classmates can, can, you know, be like, Oh, this is cool. Whatever it might be. And he has a great list of these things. It is super smart. And these are the types of things that people are figuring out that not only do you have the kids move, but you have them move with the purpose. Yeah, that's a trap, though. Like you wouldn't, my kids wouldn't shut up if you. <laughs> you Mine either. You, you, you'd get but it's Jacob, cool, you'd get Jacob explaining the the evolutionary structure of Pikachu um, yes. for half an hour and how he turns into Raichu, and then Raichu that's... turns into whatever the hell Raichu turns into, something else, um, and what powers he gets in, and yes. the health that he changes, like his numbers go up and. It'd be like, let me tell you about Pikachu, and this is yes. how he evolves. And it'd be like, you would die thirty minutes later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be, it'd be over. So cool, though. So cool. Um, so I'm glad I shared that because I just remembered that that was just shared today, and that reminded me of this just best practice: get the kids up, right? Stop talking so much. The next things just basically talk about reduce the amount of time on Zoom. That's uh, b- we've talked about that since the beginning. 
Um, you can't, there's a maximum amount that's recommended here for high school classes and then for elementary school classes. So many schools have actually adopted these types of models and congratulations. This one says maximum of three 45 minute, sorry, three 30 minute Zoom lessons for elementary students in the morning. And then afternoons are filled for them to do asynchronous lessons. That's exactly the structure that my youngest son does. And in middle school and high school, four 60 uh, minute Zoom lessons, uh, four days per week. So even recommending a day of asynchronous lessons, which we're talking about again, uh, doing even at our high school, because we just know it's just freaking overwhelming to do it day after day to get onto these things and to do school in this way without all of the stuff that school brings us, all the peer interactions, the the the, the cool part about school, the 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 fun. There is learning, yes, but there's also all of this other stuff, and it's about the relationships you build. It's about the funny moments that you have. If you take out all that stuff, you just have content. It's hard. Yeah. It's a grind. And so just knowing that that's the case. And then, of course, the last one, anybody can follow this advice. No homework, people. Stop freaking assigning homework. Stop it, it says no homework for elementary schools. We've talked about this. We already know homework does nothing in regular environments imagine saying that you're going to give more work beyond the the time that you're already spending you don't need to have it find this isn't ways the to year for that yeah no this is not the year for that or high stakes testing or any of those things so i just thought these are practical they're applicable and a lot of people are already doing this so if you are hooray you guys are kicking butt you know mm -hmm. say then tell your colleagues that too this is this is the, what people are sharing as far as practical tips uh, of best practices. Um, so thought made, made sure that we shared that on the podcast and because it's, it's things we can do. We can control these things. A lot of things we can't control. These are some things that we can. I didn't know who Citizen Stewart was. Until, <laughs> until three days ago or whatever. <laughs> And now I, you know, I cannot remove him from my timeline um, because he blew up teacher Twitter. Yes, he did. Um, with his his manifesto on. Uh, it was a manifesto. You know, uh, and he called it 10 education truths. 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 I hope the next president understands. And so he tagged Joe Biden in every tweet too. I thought that was that was interesting. And and he also has the hashtag. Fishing. How are the children? Fishing. I how? don't even know what that means. <laughs> it might be his own. And hashtag he's got a blue something. check mark, so he must be someone. That he's legit. Is something uh, somewhere? <laughs> you know yes. who knows. Um, are there any of these <laughs> that you, okay, so I, you know, at the expense of getting gone after a little bit. Sure. Say I'm one. Fine. Let's go. Which, which, which one are you agreeing with? Um, <laughs> I would say that there are threads of truth mm. in a lot of these. Sure. I would agree. And that the biggest problem, so so this is a thread of conversation, to be honest, that mm -hmm. we've been having for a couple weeks, I yeah. think. And that's that 
we all don't know shit. <laughs> and the sooner we admit that, Glenn, the more like the better we will all be. No one has the answers. This guy saying that these are truths is stupid yeah. and and ridiculous. But almost as stupid and ridiculous is getting angry about these and summarily dismissing them. Mm. Okay. That's a good we point. We don't know anything. We've only been teaching kids the way that we teach them now for like maybe a hundred years. Maybe a hundred years. Yeah. Our great great grandparents did not even probably go to school. Not at least not in the same way. Hmm. So, you know, to to get enraged over this is a giant waste of your time. What <laughs> what isn't a waste of your time is critically examining the content of hmm. you know the tweets. Money matters in education, but money properly spent matters much more. That's a good point. Tell me who has just, a problem. Tell me who has a problem with that. You know, anyone who's pissed off at that tweet is just pissed off about the whole thing and and isn't seeing yeah. the forest for the trees. You know, because there's nothing wrong with that. Like, but what the follow up sentence is really hot. Well, wait though. The way <laughs> the way districts spend money on staffing programs and buildings is rife with inequity and waste. Okay, rife is a pretty strong word yeah yep but <laughs> i don't think anyone can tell me that there are more districts doing this right than doing this wrong mm. i honestly you know am not sure that that's we heard so many stories of districts that were just absolutely you know handled the pandemic terribly Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then and then you hear stories of, you know, carving PD time with trainers and staff hours on training for Bitmoji classrooms. And tell me that's not a gigantic waste of your time. So, uh, you know, that's accurate. You're right. The, the phrasing. The, so when I said there's a thread of truth in a lot of yes. these. I'm not buying into the kind of all or nothing language. I don't mm -hmm. have to agree with the premise in its entirety to acknowledge that there's slight truths in, in almost all of these. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and, like number nine, I, I agree with, I, I, I think it follows exactly what you're describing, Mike, where it says, yes, there are no silver bullets in education. I think we say that all the time. True. I think we actually said it last week, <laughs> you know, when we're talking about technology or whatever it might, might be. Um, that doesn't mean, though, there isn't usable knowledge about what works that isn't being employed in classrooms every day. That's a really good point. That I, I, I think I liked and retweet. Yes, I did. Because that's very accurate. There are some things that we do know that do work. And yet some people uh, and some districts and some school boards and whatever else it might be, some states even have decided that, yeah, we're not doing that, <laughs> you know? Um, and some of the things just are, are ba just bad choices, you know? Um, yet 
um, you know, that's why I, I do I do agree that some of the stuff here is very, very accurate. And some of it's, that's why I put, is this harsh or is it reality? You know, is it, you know, or in, and it's I a think little what bit you're describing, it's, it's something in between it. Yeah. Exactly. So number, um, number seven is, is really like challenging people's. So standardized testing is no more biased or inefficient than the unstandardized test constructed by a nation of teachers who harbor biases and low expectations for children of color. When you get Damn. fat, don't blame the scale. Okay, so the last sentence you could just <laughs> like like erase the last sentence from your critical thinking um, yeah. because it's it's pointless. That, it's, it's that was it the, the it's, it's the, that was it's the fire the, starter. Right. Yeah, it's the that... sentence. It's the sentence to piss people off to get people yes. reading it. Okay. So yeah, let's yeah. ignore that sentence. You know, critical thinking requires you to, by the way, yes, <laughs> friends, critical thinking requires you to do this. Please apply the lessons you've learned in years and years of university studies to use your critical thinking skills to remove the emotion from the equations a little bit. Mm. Please. That is what critical thinking requires of you. So, Let's go back to that because yeah, I that think one. I think Alex Pate said almost the exact same thing mm. in different ways just in a different just a, yeah. just a couple day couple weeks ago on this podcast he mm. said that unstandardized tests constructed by a nation of teachers who harbor biases and low expectations for children of color are dangerous mm. he's right and this isn't necessarily wrong. Now, mm. this is making trying to also make a case for standardized tests. But yeah. again, if you separate, that's why there's a thread of truth in this. And that, yes. Because the, yeah. this is exactly what Alex Pate was saying, is that we have set students of color up to fail since the very beginning of their school education. Mm. And the and 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 tests reinforce a cyclical nature of students of color being set up to fail. To fail. So there is yep. there is a threat of truth in that, yeah. and you have to find that and and kind of work through it. I I think the one that got the most people fired up is number four. Okay, which says, "No, teachers do not know best." <laughs> currently, <laughs> currently, ed schools draw teachers from the lower end of the collegiate pool and then fails to prepare them with evidence-based teaching knowledge. That is untenable, tenable, tenable, <laughs> if I could even pronounce a word. I guess I came from the lower end of the collegiate pool. <laughs> <laughs> and Oh, boy. That, that's just there's there's some actual like you just finished describing th there is parts of that that are true and not everybody has had a great experience in their preparation their education part of their college uh prep um so not their content based so for me it was spanish but the education portion which for me was secondary education was that optimal? Did that prepare me for, for example, student teaching? Mm -hmm. Many people that I talk to say that no, it didn't. Right. That it didn't do a good job. 
right. um, that it was a, that even I've heard, and I mean, that may sound harsh, but it's what a lot of us say that it was a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you could get a really easy A, don't learn much, and really you're not prepared to do the things that are required minimally to be a, an effective educator, at least when you're student teaching, um, which sucks. And there's stuff we can fix there. There's there's more where we can grow in the in that area. Saying that teachers come from the lower end of the collegiate pool, though that may have been the case with me. My wife was a valedictorian, could have done anything that she wanted to do, received a full ride scholarship to many schools, and she's an English teacher. It's not because she didn't couldn't have chosen all kinds of different passes because she was passionate about uh, education. Mm-hmm. And there's many cases like that. And then there's everybody in between. You know, there's the extremes. There's just like any profession, I think, maybe not. I don't know. I know there's some professions where maybe it is only the higher end in academically, let's call them, that's, mm-hmm. that end up making it to there, you know? And I know that there's this myth, uh, that's the best way I can describe it, that you know, you couldn't do anything else. So you went into teaching. And I think that that's total garbage. That's a, that's a way to keep teach teacher pay low. That's a way to keep the profession kind of like pushed down. You know, it's a, it's a way to control the, uh, like an, it's an agenda controller. Um, so there's something there just like mm-hmm. you talked about before, but that one was the one that was like, whew, it hit some people hard. <laughs> number four and number five are the most annoying ones in the whole the mm-hmm. whole thread because you know and in, in, in our in our um team uh dm chat i, I brought yes. this up and that and that's that you know number four says the teachers don't know best and then number five says that that parents know best and you know uh. you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the dumbest. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Um, to be perfectly honest, um, yeah. parents don't know best. <laughs> unless, unless a parent is a, like, listen, I don't go to my dentist's office and tell my dentist how to how to clean my damn teeth. I mm. don't go to the doctor's office and pretend Great to point. know about anatomy i don't go to the car shop i don't know anything about cars it's funny i actually had my water heater replaced today and the guys were in and out in 30 minutes they did gas plump piping they did venting they put a water heater in my basement in a half an hour and i said you guys are incredibly impressive and he said he said, "Well, I mean, we've done it a couple thousand times." <laughs> and and I said, and I said, "Yeah. I that's that's awesome." And he said, "Listen, um we were talking a little bit about what we did and he said, he said, "Listen, I I wouldn't pretend to know how to record a podcast or fix a computer. Um I go to people who know how to do that. You mm-hmm. don't pretend to know how to fix your damn water heater. You call us and we do it in a half an hour. It would take me three hours to fix a computer and it would take you a day to fix a water heater. Um, yeah. And that's why we have skills and professions and things that people are good at Great and points. things that people aren't. And, you know, to pretend that parents understand the nuance of educational oh. policy and practice and pedagogy is just ridiculous and Mm -hmm. you know 
to to think that parents know best about a a a school or school choice because you know the school gives them a tour and gives them the warm fuzzies about how great their damn school is 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 <laughs> like like newsflash you're being sold i worked at a private sure. school i yep. worked at a private school job. folks i know exactly what's happening and mm-hmm. you're being sold and you know you can bite on it or you can <laughs> or you can critically examine you know it in more detail but mm. to think that you will would know you know the overall educational quality um because you went on a school tour is is ridiculous so mm. no parents don't know what's best they don't they should not this idea of parental choice it's a it's it's gaslighting for school choice and yes. and for charter schools and private schools we know this um mm-hmm. and we know that this citizen steward is pro school choice pro charter school anti-union mm-hmm. anti like we know that there's bias in his in in his in his slant and mm-hmm. so you know that one's the dumbest one that's the we- to be honest it's the one that made people the most uh, the most upset but it's yeah. also the weakest of his kind of, of, of his other takes of his arguments mm-hmm. you know i did terribly in school um and i'm wicked smart folks <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so all I'm saying is just because you did, just because you are the, at the lower end of the collegiate pool, whatever yeah. the hell that is, um, that doesn't mean anything. you know, if you don't think that I could quit what I'm doing right now and go back to, to school to be a doctor and become a doctor, you know, citizen Stewart can kiss my ass. Cause I could totally do it. <laughs> And I dare anyone. I don't to, know. If, I don't know if I could do it, but I love your confidence. I, I believe could do you it. could. I totally I believe could. you could. I totally yeah, could. I, know, I, I believe you could. Yes. So, like, oh don't don't God. tell me anything about collegiate <laughs> pools, folks. Um, you know, these are the, that's the that's that's a straw man argument. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was a weak one. Yep. Anyways, uh, <laughs> thank you, Citizen Stewart, for 20 minutes yeah. of great, yes. um, riveting content, and Mike, yeah, we'll... Mike getting hot takey <laughs> and we'll swearing. We'll make sure we link, we link you up. <laughs> this is definitely the most I've sworn on the podcast. <laughs> we're letting things, we're letting things go we're around go. here. A we're letting bit. it fly right now. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, we only have a few minutes left, and and yeah. I guess we should, I guess we should talk about Isti. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's this week. It is this right? week. It is virtual. Mm. We're not. We're we are not in California. Ah, oh, sadly. So sad. That <laughs> was want... supposed to happen this summer, dude. Uh, I needed. Oh. I needed it so bad, and I need it now. Um, oh. But we're not in California. Oh, okay. We are all staring at computer screens. Mm-hmm. Um, I am. I am. You. You will hear this probably um, after I have spoken at ISTE. Uh, mm. I'm. I'm presenting tomorrow. Um, nice. With with Mr. Isaacs, um, Heck yeah. and then I'm speaking in Australia um, at a conference in Australia on the same night. Um, I don't know how no. the hell that happened, but but uh, two <laughs> conference presentations on the same night is is really dumb, uh, <laughs> and and not a good idea. But but listen, I'm yeah. You know, have you have you watched or listened to any of this? I have not. I really just wanted to talk really quickly, just that I had wished that 
it's they had considered making it free. Um, we have just last week, we we're talking to Brianna Hodges and she was describing FETC and how awesome it is and all of the things that they are uh, providing, just like a normal conference, except in a virtual format. But understanding the situation currently and, and where people are at, where our teachers are at and making it free. And I wish that ISTE would have done that. Uh, really, actually, I wish for you guys too, Mike. I mean, for you, the presenters, all of you guys that provide the service that you do provide. And we've talked harshly about ISTE before in the past where you can present. I don't know if people know this already, but I think we've said on the show, you can present at ISTE and you don't get to go for free. No, um, you and, don't. And, yeah. and that is and that is just so terrible <laughs> in so it's many ridiculous. ways because it's so expensive and we talk about how expensive these conferences are and this one specifically is expensive but even this would be a, would have been a great opportunity to open it up open up you know the sessions and say you know what this is a great year for everyone to come in learn a lot attend these things get rekindled about things, you know, because you're going to mm -hmm. be talking about, mm -hmm. um, you know, esports and mm -hmm. people are going to be talking about game-based learning and, and, and tons of different, just great strategies and maybe new ways of thinking about what you're doing as far as in your class or building relationships and so much in between, because that's what happens at ISTE. There's every kind of, of session that you could ever want to attend and so much to learn. Open that stuff up and let people come in and you know get reinvigorated refired yeah. up what's good though and what i am super happy about is that just in one month we will and we will continue to talk about this FETC will open its doors virtual for doors for to everyone and yep. all of you that are listening can attend those the great keynote speeches, all of the presentations and everything else in between for free. You just get signed up and then you can be able to attend. So we will be continuing to promote that. I just wish that that would have happened also with ISTE. It was a missed opportunity, I think. A way to build, you know, I don't know, like uh, some good feeling, you know, <laughs> between this educational community, the presenters, and uh, obviously uh, that's, you know, the organization itself. So yeah. an um, organization that, that alleges, like tells us it leads us in some ways. Yes, right? it does. No. It does. So, yep. Kind of, kind of tough to do that mm -hmm. when you're, when you're also taking advantage of people in this way, I guess. Um, but you know, FETC is, is free. And all you yes. gotta do is go to fetc.org slash register. Hey. And speaking, yeah, see that? <laughs> and, and speaking of FETC, um, one of the keynote speakers at FETC is Tom Murray, and he'll be with us next, so stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Tom Murray is the Director of Innovation for Future Ready. He is an author and an amazing speaker and will be delivering one of the keynote talks at FETC 2021. We're excited to welcome him back to the podcast for the second time. Welcome, Tom. 
Hey, Mike and uh, and Glenn, it's glad to be with you guys again. And here's what I have to say: when you say 2021, that just rings like amazing uh. bells in my, my ear. I'm looking forward to it, right? I'm looking forward to it. So, good to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. So last time we had you on the podcast, and it was at FETC, we were just talking about it off air, that it was less than a year ago. It just seems unbelievable. Um, we talked about all of the awesome work being done at Future Ready Schools. And as I went onto you guys' website, I was super excited because you also described the work that you guys do with Future Ready Institutes. And now you're going to have one, possibly face-to-face, but maybe in virtual space. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work, but it's but it's ba- going to be based in Rochester, Minnesota, which I'm near. Uh, it's right in my neck of the woods. But for those that are not familiar, can you tell us more about your Future Ready Institutes? Future Ready, we are a bipartisan, nonprofit, equity-focused organization. We raise money every year to be able to do what we do for free for school leaders. We recognize that if we were to charge money for the events that we do, the things that we do virtually now as well, we recognize which districts would be able to attend and which districts would not be able to attend. And as an equity-focused organization, we will do our best to raise that money so that districts don't have to turn that over. So um, the events that we do that you're yes. referencing are really, they're two-day events. Uh, we bring in uh, people that are advisors of ours. It's very grounded in the work. We have over 50 advisors. You know, So our principal strand is led by 20 cr- uh, current practicing principals. So it's very grounded in the work. It's mm-hmm. not your typical 50,000-foot DC. We do things also very differently. You know, a lot of times here we are talking about FETC, which is one of the greatest conferences out there. I've been doing FETC for probably a decade now, but our events are very different and not only being free and having a happy hour at day one, but not, a, but not only being free, it's that we encourage <laughs> teams to come. And part of the reason we encourage teams to come is we recognize if you're one person going back to your districts, trying to implement systemic change, that's really, really difficult so for sustainability and to happen. So, you know, we encourage mm. superintendents. We get a lot of superintendents, assistant superintendents that are bringing principals, instructional coaches and in all the different realms to be able to then have a team awesome. to go back to build capacity and, and do it. You know, we're not naive and thinking a two-day institute changes everything in a district that's not our viewpoint we look at it as a launch point for districts a great way to get away from your district to problem solve to network with other incredible leaders all across the country almost every one of our events basically Mm. quote unquote sells out even though they're free because we really want to offer high quality collaborative equity focus and by the Mm -hmm. way let's let's talk about that for a minute there too you know it's been such a buzzword in 2020 we've been an equity focused organization far before march 13th like kids didn't have connectivity mm. before March 13th. Like, hello, glad everybody's talking about it, but uh, where were you on March 12th, right? And I, I don't mean that facetiously, yes. but it's the kind yes. of things that when you've been preaching it for the mountaintops for years and you looked at it and, and continue to move forward, it's like this is the work that we're passionate about that has to be done that are really non-negotiables on our end. I'm glad I'm glad you're talking about this because we're going to get into that in in just a second. I want to dig a little bit deeper into this idea of bringing teams to the institutes because uh, I've I've seen both sides of this where you know um, I've been to conferences just myself and then been asked by by my school or whatever to to go and teach it out right to go and you know bring it back to my school and and it's never effective. It's it doesn't. I mean, maybe that says something about me. I don't know. Um, but I just, I'm, I, it's never worked. And it, and it generally doesn't work very well. This idea of bringing everybody or as many as you possibly can 
is is really the way to go. There's got to be some sort of case study or efficacy around this, you know, because because I got to think that this is the way. Yeah. And it's why we also um, require district leaders to be there, you know, and we love our teachers. We love our, our educators in the classroom. But you get a class, get get three or four teachers that go to something, they get all fired up, they come back and their principal's like, nope, it, it's dead on arrival. Right. So because they, right. they, they so, weren't there. And so yeah. they didn't right. they didn't, you know, Correct. experience they're, they're it not or buying whatever. in. Right. So it's helping right. to mm-hmm. buy in. And it's not our job to turn around and have a vision for them. We don't say this is your future ready vision. We don't say this is the way you have to do it. Our job is to help them create the um, the culture where innovation can thrive. We push on them around leadership and how do we create cultures where teachers want to be, where you know where, where kids want to be, but also really supporting when they go back, what comes next. Because there's so many times and so many things, you go to a thing, you're there all day, you have great conversations, you're driving home, you're like, well, what was that? What was that website? And then if you're really uber honest with yourself, nothing really changes moving forward. And that's what we call a waste of time and money. And yeah. what do we need most in education right now? Time and money. And so we've got to use, right. And we really time look at money. it that every dollar mm. that we spend as a school district comes out of somebody's pocket somewhere. So it's our job to make sure that we use it well. So you're talking sustainability, you're talking overall systems change, you know, and Future Ready really has been focused on school and district leaders, you know, in the sense of it's your principals, it's your superintendents, because we recognize, you know, if you don't get a district office on board, like it's just not going to happen. Now, now, it doesn't mean you're not going to have great things as one-offs in classrooms, but mm. to change a system, you need principals, you need superintendents helping to lead the way with yeah. that. And and I'm all about the bottom up. I'm all about the grassroots. I'm all about empowering teachers. But realistically, without getting admin to push forward, to get out of their own way, to remove their blinders, system change isn't going to happen in a district. And so that's really where we're focused. So I, I like that as part of your um, elevator pitch that that you you give that you're obviously an expert at. Um, you, you use the word you say the word bipartisan, and and I and I know you do that because I know that um, Future Ready kind of is involved in a lot of policy discussions, and and I'm a policy walk. So Tom, I want to talk a little bit of policy with you, just a little bit, anyways, to set the table for this. Maybe you could talk about some of the work in policy that Future Ready does. I know, for example, that you work with a a group called All for Ed, and they're very ingrained in some of these policy discussions. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so All for Ed's actually our home organization. So um, the Alliance for yeah, the Alliance for that's why we work really close with them because they're actually uh, the people we report to, right? And so no, and so All for Ed and Future Ready are really married at the hip. It's it's one organization. Future Ready is a a project of, and so yeah, the Alliance for Excellent Education has been around for well over twenty years now. Um, It was originally focused on um, high school and graduation rates, and how do we support this? Is go you know going back over twenty years, those students that don't have the opportunity, which really obviously is an equity conversation. It's grown, of course, into K-12, which has grown into then supporting le- leaders and, and those across the board. So looking at it from a policy end, we also, so I'm on the Future Ready team, obviously, as we mentioned, but we have a policy um, 
side of the house per se, which is we are one of the only organizations that literally works from classroom to the Congress. So I have colleagues of mine that are working, um, whether it's the White House, the Senate, the Congress in different ways, you know, parts of ESSA were basically brokered in our offices in DC, you know, bringing people together and helping to do those kinds of things. You know, Mm -hmm. we are though, as an equity focused organization, certainly aligned in different ways to different parties with some of our beliefs. And those are non-negotiables for us. However, you know, to get anything done in DC, you can't just be one far side of the aisle for all these different things as administrations change and those kinds of things there as well. We like to focus it on what's best for kids and who's on the right or left side of that we'll, we'll work with to make sure it happens. Yes. And so, you know, there's a lot of, in, in, you know, interesting conversations around that. Because even when you look at schools, there's kind of like, oh, you went to the dark side when you became an administrator. And in some places, it's kind of the finger pointing between unions and admin. And, you know, and it's really a very similar to almost left versus right conversation. You have to be able to sit down. There's times where, you know, we've, we worked very closely with the Obama administration. And there was times where people would say, like, well, I could couldn't be in a room with secretary so-and-so or I couldn't but the moment you're not willing to have a seat at the table is the moment you don't have a seat at the table and so you'd rather have a voice in those things so you know some of the policy things we're working on right now we've been working on the homework gap and we can dive into that term and that phrase because educators cringe when they hear that as I originally did as well but you know kids that don't have connections and I jumped right to that or connectivity at home and I jumped right to that because we've been working on that for five or six years we actually released um, talking about some of the policy work we released uh, a couple months ago the first ever state by state breakdown by by j or by chase by um by race by socioeconomics of how many kids weren't connected in each state because then we turn and work with the fcc and really yeah. pushing on them on we've got to get these kids connected because it's something you know it's it's really an opportunity gap right now i used to use when i was a principal and i was a district leader i'd often use the phrase like achievement gap and i talk about achievement gap you know because that was kind of the phrase that was in my realm what i've known And I've since been really convicted about that because when we look at something like the achievement gap, that puts the notion on the child as the opportunity gap, as I now refer to it, puts it more on us as adults to make sure we provide that opportunity. And so even Mm. in the language that we use, going back to the policy side, how do you view that? And so when we look at things like opportunity gaps, looking at things like connectivity at a time where kids you know, homes have become their, their, their classrooms without connection and connectivity, the opportunity gaps only continue going to continue to grow. And so, you know, we do a lot of work in a variety of areas, that being just one of them really working to support schools. So, you know, from a policy end, our policies are working to support traditionally marginalized groups of students. If you identify who they are, overwhelmingly, it's our black and brown students. And so what do we do to support them? Today, I spent a lot of time reaching out to superintendents through this grant funded program to try and get college credit for free for black and brown students offered from heart from uh, from howard and from yale university to be able to support them so it's, i get to feel like santa claus hmm. and sometimes being like hey sure. this is a good no cost here's That's an opportunity right. but you're, you've got to commit recruit a diverse group of students recruit a group of students that could use that leg up to get started on some sort of college career because maybe they're thinking that like when they're not so sure from either yale or from howard right and so hmm. a lot of times we get to work Work with those kinds of things to be able to say, hey, you're a high need district. You, you support the groups of students that we want to break down barriers and walls for. Let us help you. And a lot of times it's just getting past it. The other side is 
districts are so used to like, what's the catch? You know, for nineteen ninety nine a month, you can be future ready too. So and true. the good thing yeah, is, yeah, once yeah. they realize that trust is there, and we're not trying to sell them anything, then mm. really, really good things happen. Um, lot of, a pretty interesting time with a new administration coming in. There's going to be some turnover. Um, I, I I remember reading the news the other day when, and it, only because you you sort of brought up the universal broadband and um, you know, Ajit Pai resigns and like a chorus of you know hallelujahs springs up from the crowd, you know, so to speak. Uh, I suppose um, because I think he's he's been a, a a in the way of some of that probably and and jill biden dr jill biden the first lady is an educator and um you know she's been showing a lot of love to educators on social media um and one of the consistent topics for her seems to be you know this this idea of universal broadband of of equity as it relates to the internet and access and it looks like this is a policy position that her office is going to actually pursue, which is, I mean, unbelievably exciting. Um, and, you know, all of those tweets that she sent over the last couple of months have been met with like, you know, again, hallelujahs from the, from the teachers on Twitter. Um, what do you think it means, Tom, to have a, a real educator this close to the Oval Office? And and what do you think it would mean, you know, if the Biden administration truly engaged in the issue that you've been, you know, working for years um, yes. to provide universal access to the Internet? Yeah, well, having a lot of connections to the transition team and to those um, at the FCC. So it's interesting. Let me let me bring it back a little bit. You mentioned the FCC. You mentioned the article, you know, with Pi stepping down. And it's funny because, you know, I saw on one news site today, like, Republicans won't continue to control because he's stepping down. Like, so well, here's the follow up. Anytime there's a Democratic president, the Democrats control the FCC. Yes. On uh, over one vote. And, and so you have to understand, like, that's just the way it works. So, yeah, of course, in an election, the Republican steps down. That's really, like that. <laughs> it's not like it's, it's funny because it hits it as like major news of like, see, they're stepping down. This is great. Mm -hmm. Well, like, no, that just is going to that's the that's the protocol. So that's when Obama was in office. Right. Right. And, and that, right. that's the way it is. So um, I think there's two there's two things there. I'm not sure who's going to be the commissioner of the FCC. There's talk of Clyburn. There's talk of Rosenworcel. We were they're both wonderful. I uh, know them both. And we work very closely with Jessica Rosenworcel's organization or organization uh, office, I should say. She has been the proponent for the homework gap. She coined the term homework gap every day. Every day on social mm. media, she is sharing this stuff out. She is an amazingly brilliant lady um, who, whether she's the commissioner or not, will continue to push it. So it does put the homework gap piece out there. She's been a big fan of the FCC and or Congress stepping up to do it. The problem with it is obviously local school districts can't afford to do it. And a lot of times we're looking at it as this last mile. You know, how do you get, I, I you know, work with uh, educators, say, in Alaska, and you've got these remote islands out there that, like, who's going to run broadband? And fiber to these, like, how do you do that, right? I actually have a lot of hope in looking at some of like Elon Musk and then SpaceX and some of the things that are happening there. Um, and I know that sounds good. People have yes. laughed when I've said that, but I'm like, 
you've got to think differently. And when you start looking at it from satellite, well, that remote island in, in Alaska becomes very feasible, but nobody's paying a million dollars to run fiber to three houses. Like nobody's doing it, right? And so nope. when you look at when you look at like the traditional way of thinking and doing it, I think we need to look at every option. Congress absolutely has to step up, especially because of the pandemic. Um, we've reviewed all of the different, uh, like the CARES funding and all of that. We've been part of like weighing in on a lot of that stuff. Doesn't mean it remotely was where it, we thought it was going to be or we hoped it was going to be with the new administration. I think we've got to look at that. Uh, there's talk of a, a very large stimulus package. And now that that's shifted, that will become more of a priority. Another thing that shifts. So one of the pieces when um, Obama was at the end of his term and looked at it was this program around Lifeline. And to me, that's just as important. So Lifeline's actually been around since the 80s. People uh, during the Obama administration, you'd hear people hmm. say things like, you know, oh, that's the Obama phone. Like you're poor, so you just get a phone. And, and it's actually been around for a long time and through bipartisan support. What we worked on uh, prior to the Trump administration was Lifeline modernization, similar to E-rate modernization. We worked on it as well, Lifeline modernization. So essentially that was originally the, the the premise of that was to give that that idea of like this this phone stipend for single moms for those people that needed it whether it was for safety or whatever the case may be but in a modern world, it's got to go past that. So we said, well, if we took the same stipend and, and other organizations have as well and really pushed for what about allowing them to use that for broadband access at home? And there's a lot of times a lot of people that would qualify for it. But for them, maybe it's a pride thing. Maybe they don't they feel like they don't want to take it out, but they could certainly qualify it. But it could also support that at home. So I really believe we'll see Lifeline come back on the table as well. When Pi took over, he then basically comes through to the other way. And so Pi said, no, that's more of a state thing, not a federal thing. And there was a lot of movement, a lot of progress with that. But what it's going to do is, again, support those people that need it most. So we'll see that come on the table there as well. So I think we'll see it going back to your, and, and Mike, I didn't even remotely answer your question about Dr. Biden. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, when, first <laughs> of all, uh, trying to say this with a straight face, but um, having an educator, like run the U.S. Department of Education, like that's a pretty noble idea, right? Like, let, like you know, nobody's going to nominate Tom Murray to go oversee doctors. Nobody's going to nominate Tom Murray to go oversee lawyers. Why? Because I have no experience with that. Don't nominate <laughs> right. me because I'm not qualified to do that, right? So yes, you know, I know Biden pledged. One of the things he said is, you know, he pledged to put a teacher in there. I think people have misconstrued that a little bit. Um, as much respect as I have for teachers, I would hesitate taking a second grade teacher and making them U.S. Secretary of Education. As much yep. as I love my teachers, it's a very different world, right? In some places and working with so many states, we've seen people, uh, the most extreme I've ever seen it go is from literally like teacher to state secretary of education. It's happened a few times in places where they've been voted in, like heavy union support. That's a massive shift from going to like, I write lesson plans to like, all of a sudden I'm in charge of like all uh, everything Policy. in a state. Right. And, yeah. and I, I would never want anybody to misconstrue that as Tom Wood doesn't want an educator there. I absolutely do. I would say find a superintendent of color of a large urban district. Why? They understand policy. They understand what it's like to work without any money to be able to do what they need to do. They understand what it's like. And, and to me, it's going to be somebody like that. I also wouldn't be surprised if it's a higher ed pick. 
uh, hearing some rumblings, it could be somebody like that, like a, a well-regarded university president that also has K-12 experience. Um, one of the things people often forget is the U.S. Department of Education also oversees higher education. It's not just a K-12 piece there. And so I wouldn't yes. be surprised on that there as well. But uh, I, I know for a fact, and, and knowing knowing a lot of the behind-the-scenes pieces to some of those, um, as do other people that work closely into, in the realm that we do, you know, this administration is absolutely pro-education. Having Dr. Biden there is a, a you know, a brilliant thing for educators. I think we need to be careful in some of the pieces saying, you know, like educators need to be, we, uh, we need, you know, more money for educators, all these pieces. I, and I totally agree. Like every, everybody that is in education would agree, like people deserve to be absolutely well paid in all these pieces. The difficulty is like, when have we ever seen like, here's all this federal money to go pay teachers more and keep the sustainability of that. So like, it's easy to say, here's what we want to see. Show me the changes two years from now that have happened. Show me the changes in supporting teachers that have happened. Show me how educators who actually understand the system have led schools taught in classrooms are helping to influence policy. And people say like, now we're there rolling forward, you know? And so with that, um, you know, in the Obama Hmm. administration, I worked really closely with, with secretary Duncan when he was there, he was an educator. He was a superintendent of, of Chicago public schools. One of the things I respected about him dearly was like, he was in schools literally every single week, all the time along teachers, kids. He had lived it. He had been there. Now, did every educator agree with all of his policies? No way, no chance. Right. So it's it's yeah. understanding and part of that role, too, that people will always have different viewpoints. People there's so many aspects of things in education that no matter who you put in that office, a big part of education is going to be like, that's the wrong choice. And a big part of education will be like, that's the right choice. So <laughs> I, it's gonna I think be. I, I, I'm telling you, I'll go on record as saying it. No matter who it is, no matter what yeah. the background is, some people will be like, I can't believe that's the yeah. choice. A lot of people you'll see it all over social media. I used to see um, Alberto Carvalho's name come up uh, yeah, quite a bit, Miami, and yep, I mean sure. that seems like that seems like exactly what you're talking about a little bit, right? A a, a person of color, big big district, superintendent, tons of policy, you know, knowledge and and background. Um, so I don't know if his name's in the mix still, but I, I remember you. I used to see his name come up all the time for it. So. Yeah. You know, any anything but someone who wants to dismantle public schools and doesn't, you know, have a clue is, is, is about a, public yeah, there, is a, like, no, like I mean, no it's a low. I, I realize I just set a really low bar, but but, but you know, Mike, I mean, if, I, I, if I could just take a minute to say, because all the policy side of things that we talk about, it's you know, where I, I, I get to live every day, and, and that's why I get fired up because I see so many of the things that happen. But I wear yeah. my educator hat, I wear my teacher hat, my principal hat, put myself there, and and when I look back, I, I want to give a shout out to every educator right now that's working in schools, whether they're working physically in schools with fear and anxiety all around them, whether they're teaching remotely, whether they're doing the impossible job of trying to do both simultaneously, educators really are the most giving, empathetic, incredible people on the planet. And just watching what they're doing, seeing and just working with schools, working with educators literally every day somewhere around the country, I stand in awe of the work they're doing. And you know, I, I would have said a year ago, and if we mm. replayed the podcast, I hope that I, I gave him a shout out, something similar then. But you want to talk about a profession, like <laughs> show me another profession that has in the past seven months completely transformed everything they do, how they do it. Now, I, I, not knocking other professions because, you know, I met with my doctor for the very first time the other day o- over like a FaceTime through an app. Everything was electric. And so, yeah, they've changed a little bit, too. But 
compared to with teachers and what they've done with all of the students that they have, I, I, I could never, I can't be on a podcast right now and just say that I truly stand in awe of what they're doing every day, how hard they're working, um, but also remind them to take care of themselves in this process. Absolutely. Um, we were thinking about, I mean, let's talk about FETC because it's coming up uh, very soon and you're going to be delivering a keynote presentation, I believe with That's Brianna correct. Hodges, who we just had on the, on the podcast last week. And the title of your talk is very intriguing to me because I'm an instructional coach and it's four keys to effective leading and coaching in any environment. And while we know that there is nuance to leading and coaching, depending upon when and how you do it. And there are obviously some, but there are some universal truths that can be applied to any situation. So maybe dive into the description without, you know, your keynote without giving a say, lot of we, it away. Um, because I yeah, find it super intriguing. It just sounded like a great title. So, so we're going to roll know, with that you know there. Funny, you, know? you know, what's funny is that Brianna said a little bit of the same thing. It's cool. No, no. I, I think she said something similar to that. I got it. I got it. You got to be the first one logging in, Glenn. I can't tell you all the answers ahead of time, you know? So, so here, here's an interesting perspective. One of the things a lot of people don't know about, about me before I got recruited to go to DC, um, my team and with the vision of the superintendent, I, I don't take credit for this, but my team and I created a full-time mm. virtual program in our K-12 public school taught by our K-12 teachers so that any of our kids could go any combination of face-to-face -face versus remote um, in middle school and high school. Elementary obviously looked a little bit different, but we started that process 10 years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago. And so wow. watching the, so yeah, I've been the there. stars of, and so it's interesting because I'm getting a lot of people reaching out being like, did you start your own virtual program, like taught by your own teachers to scale it? And like, well, and, and we did, we started that 10 years ago. And so when we look at that, I've been there, I've done mm. that, I've led that, I've supervised in a fully virtual full-time public school environment where some kids were face-to-face, -face, some kids were remote, teachers were actually teaching both. So I, a lot of my teachers were doing face-to-face -face for four periods a day, a virtual class for the fifth period a day. My goal of multiple things, number one, is you can come to our public school, K-12, do it full-time virtually, graduate with our diploma, um, amazing things were able to happen. On one hand, we, we you know, we had a, a semi-pro snowboarder who every year would disenroll second and third quarter. Well, guess what? Now she stayed with us and she just went virtual those periods. Every girl that got pregnant mm. during that time that, that I was there, every single girl that, that got pregnant, she was able to graduate. Why? Because it wasn't like, sorry, you've got to be home, can't come to school, right? And you every one of them this. graduated. Yes. Why? Because we said, well, let's meet our needs a different way. I will tell you, there were financial reasons we did it because mm. in Pennsylvania, if a child goes to an online cyber charter school, the home district pays for it. And it was very significant in our budget. And, and 10 years ago, my yes. superintendent had the vision to be like, well, we can do it, use our own teachers, and let's even do it better and give them more opportunity, right? And so I share all of that background awesome. um, and, and having had the conversations on like, what's engagement online look like? Online look like? What does attendance look like? How do you, I'm like reliving three years of, of my last three years there because it's so many pieces. Now I share all that to say, doing things remotely and doing things in person, there's a lot of similarities and there's a tremendous amount of differences, right? And so helping to, to look at this keynote, mm. all of that to premise the keynote of, there are some universal truths that no matter what environment we in, really have to be core to those beliefs. And so when we look at things around yeah. staying focused on our why and our purpose, it is so easy in our world as a human being to start to say like me and my and I a lot more frequently than we and our and they, and really getting back to like, why are we even doing what we're doing? 
What's the real purpose of this work? And when we look mm-hmm. back, let me give you an example with that. When we look back at the pandemic and we go back to that March 13th date on that Friday, you know what I didn't hear back when the pandemic started to hit? I didn't hear that week people being like, well, what about the math benchmark next Wednesday? Like, what about your gut? I didn't hear that. <laughs> so you know what true. I heard? The kids have food. Do kids, yep. ha- are they safe? Yeah. Do they? So I never want to say like yes. silver lining of the pandemic. Cause yeah, it, nobody, like nobody would choose this. But what I wanted to say is that COVID has reforced us in many, many places to refocus our priorities. And many districts have refocused our priorities when we start to say, like, maybe we should really look at access like we've talked about. Maybe we should make sure of, like, our kids are fed and those kinds of things. Maybe we should care Uh if our kids are fed in the summertime because, oh, all of a sudden they still have to eat when they're not with us in July and August. And so it's really helped us refocus our priorities on those pieces. And so when we look at it from a keynote end, whether we're remote, whether we're home, when we think about leading, when we think about coaching, what are some of those universal truths? That being one, equity also being front and center here of, you know, does all really mean all? Or does all mean it? Do I say all or do I say equity like when it's convenient? Right? Are we talking about like, oh, those kids? Well, in mm. this building, we can. Are we? Do we really mean all is all? It's so easy to say the right things, and I think we've thrown out a lot of those kinds of things over time. And then we walk in, and then okay, like, well, why are there vast disparities in our discipline data? Why is there vast disparities in our demographics, but then in our AP courses? Like, if, if we re- if all really means all, like, why are they so far off? Like, why are you know? And we look at those kinds of pieces there, and so we'll we'll dive into a little bit of the equity side of things there as well. I think part of it, you know, part of what what I'll share in, in the keynote as well, and I'm only kidding. You know, Jennifer, if you listen to this, I'm only kidding. We've been all over. We've been planning every hour of every day, Jennifer, for our keynote, just you know. But, but what else is this? One of the things – Because you um, know Womble's listening. So. No, she, she, no and, and a shout-out to her. She is she's not only one of the best conference leaders, like, putting it all together. Oh, yeah. I don't know how she does all that. She's also one of the greatest people on Absolutely. the planet. Such an amazing mom, such mm. an amazing educator, getting to know her personally. She's just an amazing, amazing person. Um, shout-out, Jennifer, if you're listening. But in all seriousness, the other – people the other thing that i'll mention here as well one of the things i talk about in personal and authentic in my last book is really around the hidden stories within i tell part of my daughter's story in that her medical journey some of the things that are on her heart some of the things that cause her a lot mm. of anxiety as a, as a child growing up with very severe food allergies um, to the point of you know every single thing that she eats we've got a double check triple check to the point of we've almost lost her three times because of uh, some of her severity of allergies, but I share, you know, for instance, part of her data Jeez. and part of the way I often set it up when I'm working with educators is I'll put her data on a screen and they won't know it's her. And it's, you know, in, in 14 months, a child has 35 absences In 14 months, they've been tardy 20 times. And then what I'll share is something along the lines of like, all right, tell me some judgments people might make, you know, give me some judgments. And I've done this in a room of 2000 people walking around a room, give me a judgment. And here's what you hear. You hear things like, you know, maybe she's pregnant, maybe there's drugs. Maybe she's taking care of other kids. Parents don't care. Parents are disconnected. She's probably academically low. All the judgments that we naturally make. And then I go through around the room and then I said, let me tell you the next part of the story. Yeah. That's my daughter. That's, yeah. that's Tom. That's Tom Murray's yes. kid. And the room goes silent. Mm-hmm. And then I start to talk about, well, what if I told you what it was like the night she was 10 months old when we had no idea moments before, but Something she was definitely allergic to happened to get on her hand uh, called sesame and a hummus it was in. And she rubbed her eye. Like, what if I told you his dad what it was like oh to God. watch her in a minute and a half gasp for air and start to pass out and not be able to breathe? 
Like, what if I told you for like his dad, what it was like driving to the hospital, literally a hundred miles an hour, like praying to God to save my child because she couldn't breathe. And like, what if I told you that moment of what it's like carrying your mm. like almost lifeless baby into an emergency room, screaming for an EpiPen and tearing part of that story. And then saying like, what if I told you every single one of those 35 absences that I just told you about? She was two hours from our home undergoing food allergy therapy. And by the way, every time we went, she'd say, mommy, I really wish I could be in school today. Daddy, I wish I really could be in school today. And as yes. I tell part of her story, you know, yes. here's a little girl that's been hospitalized multiple times for literally a seed of sesame, one, one seed of sesame. But at the same time, now she eats the equivalent of 4,000 seeds every single day because of the food allergy therapy as the first child in the Northeast. I share all that because number one, it's uber personal as dad, but number two, you can't see that when she walks in your classroom. You don't see that story on her no. heart. You don't see mm. what it's like. In the, in the past month and a half, we've had two nights because she's now undergoing it for Trina. It's two nights where she's gone into anaphylaxis. And that's a mental struggle where we've had to administer EpiPens at home and, and, and it's controlled and we're very well versed on it at this point. I share <laughs> all those pieces because it's the hidden stories. It's yeah. the stories that we all have, the three of us have before we logged on to report this podcast that were on your heart. And maybe they're, maybe they're super jazzed up. Like maybe this weekend's coming up, it's your anniversary or something. You're super jazzed up. You're all excited. Nobody else around you knows. But maybe people are, maybe you're listening to this today yeah. and you're struggling. You know, maybe you are here, you're looking for hope mm -hmm. and opportunity because last night for you, it was one of those nights for your own teenage daughter that was you know, a real struggle for you. And it's those hidden stories and it's helping people yeah. understand that every child that logs on to our Zoom meeting or Google Meet, whatever it might be, every child that walks in our classroom and in the same sense, every one of our colleagues has stories on their heart. And the reality is we won't know them all. So yeah. how do we make sure we lead with an empathy lens? Mm. And so the hidden story piece and leading That's... with an empathy lens absolutely ties to equity, absolutely ties to our why, our purpose in the work. And those are some of the themes that we'll really talk about diving in as we work with people, because we cannot forget our work is not a, you know, data is an important aspect of our work. It gives us a snapshot, but kids aren't numbers. And we mm -hmm. need to be really, really, care uh, really, really careful of some of the conversations that we've had in data team meetings and that stuff where we start to look at kids as they walk by as like partially proficient, distinguished. And, and man, if we've got the wrong lens when it comes to this stuff, our work is about people. And we need to make sure that no matter where we are, how do we help people get a little bit better every single day when we're coaching them? How do we help our kids believe in themselves and continue to get a little bit better every single day? And how do we create environments where people absolutely want to be? You shared that last time or a piece of that story last time and it was, it, it's as powerful hearing it again. Um, how can people connect with you, Tom, online and to have further conversations or ask you sure. questions about this wonderful uh, keynote that you're about to deliver? Oh, I appreciate that. So I, first I'd say the website, thomasymurray.com has all the offshots of that. So Twitter is Thomas C. Murray. Instagram is Thomas C. Murray edu. Um, YouTube is at slash Thomas C. Murray and Facebook's Thomas C. Murray EDU. Why the difference between the two? Yeah, somebody else got it before I did, so I couldn't keep them all consistent. Drives me a little nutty, but go to the, the uh, website. They're all in one spot. I'd love to connect with people. My goal is to always to try and respond, reconnect with people. If I'm going to talk about being personal, authentic, if I'm going to talk about connecting, I really believe I've got to model that as well. So be honored for people that reach out. Always an honor to connect with educators. 
So just a reminder, friends, FETC 2021 is a free virtual event this year. And all you have to do is visit FETC.org slash register and join the thousands of others who will register to learn uh, with amazing, amazing educators like Tom. Uh, again, head to FETC.org slash register for your free, I'm going to say it again, free. Mike, pass. did you say free? Did you say free? Because a lot of conferences Tom. out there right now that aren't free. You said free? Hey, hey, Tom, FETC, it's free this year. It's, it is truly unbelievable. Yes. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Look forward to seeing everybody at FETC. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks, as always, for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.